the faculty was trying to come up with someone that would really be appropriate to speak tonight. We, we thought of our speaker, did not know if we could get him over to the States, and God's providence that we could. It's a great privilege for me tonight to get to talk about the two men that have had the most influence in my life, both at that first faculty at Reformed Seminary when I went there in 1968, two years after school had begun. Dr. Smith and systematics and teaching me love for uh, the Lord's Day and, and the church as well as theology and Dr. Robertson opened to me um, a whole world of, of the beauties and glories of biblical theology. In fact, one of the courses we have at the seminary is really patterned after a course he taught in advanced exegesis where he dealt with the New Testament, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the thing just went out. Um, using set to agent. Dr. Robertson was a son of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. He went on to study at Union Seminary and do his doctoral work and then came to Reform Seminary in 1966 with the original faculty. He probably holds the record of having taught at the most different seminaries. He um, taught at Reform Seminary, then at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia, then at Covenant Seminary, and then at Knox Seminary, and now he is the principal of the African Bible College in Uganda and Malawi. So a lot of men have had the privilege of being exposed to uh, Dr. Robertson. But the biblical theology, as he teaches it, has life and connectedness to piety and to missions and evangelism as you can tell by his own example. He was uh, widowed and uh, while teaching in Malawi met Joanna, his second wife, and following the example of John Murray, he now has three wonderful sons that I got to spend time with in Cambridge about a year and a half ago, and God has greatly blessed their family. We're blessed to have you with us tonight, and may God bless you and use you to speak to us. Thank you very much. My, I think sometimes what my claim to fame ought to be, and probably number one, is that I was Mississippi State Yo-Yo champion. <laughs> I do have a little, the only thing that I hang up on my wall is a plaque that says I was Mississippi State Yo-Yo champion. The other great claim to fame I have is that when Bellhaven first became coeducational, we fielded our, our first basketball team, and none of us had, well, there was one person that had played basketball before, and uh, we played Mississippi College, and they beat us 125 to 25, I believe, <laughs> and they wrote us up in the newspaper as the Bellhaven Ballerinas. <laughs> so those are my two great claims to fame, and you know, that's, that's the way it is. 
Now, to speak about Martin Smith, I, I have some good stories that I wish I could tell, but I'm not going to tell about Martin Smith, some wonderful, very, very nice things to say about him, but other things I will say. But I, I want to base these, these comments on another person that is described in Scripture as a good man. A good man. And this is from Acts chapter 11, and some of you will recognize who this person is. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scouted by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a while, a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. A good man. The scripture does not say Barnabas was a great man. It says he was a good man. And as you, particularly you who are young and students, start thinking about your life and your future, think about Barnabas and think about Morton, Howison, Smith, and Aspire to be a good man. That, that's enough. Be a good man. Look at Barnabas and some of his characteristics as what makes up a good man. First of all, Barnabas was a priest. Did you forget that? We don't often remember that there's an earlier reference to Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. And his name was actually Joseph and he was a Levite, a priest, and Barnabas showed his heart for needy people in that he sold a plot of land and took all that he had as pro property, as a, as a profit from that, and he didn't decide where to spend it himself. He laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a priest, a good man. Now, when you look at the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 33, as it describes the various tribes, it talks about the priesthood and what their responsibilities were. And again, we often forget that one of the major roles of the priest is that he was to teach the people. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, he teaches your precepts. Now, the one who teaches is one who must know those precepts. But the 
priest was to teach the scriptures. And as a priest also, he was to offer incense and whole burnt offerings. The writer to the Hebrews comments something on the priesthood and says, he had to be a man of like compassions as we, who was able to deal gently with those who are weakness in weakness, since he also was a weak person. Barnabas was a good man. He was a priest. Morton Smith was a priest. He was a teacher. For almost 60 years he was a teacher. Shortly after I was converted under the preaching of Billy Graham, even though I had memorized the catechism, even though I was singing in the youth choir of First Presbyterian Church, the gospel had not come through until I was singing in the choir of Billy Graham. And shortly after that, I went downtown and bought a revised standard version Bible, not knowing anything about what this was. Now, when I brought that Bible home, my mother, who was the daughter of a Presbyterian elder from Tupelo, Mississippi, was very upset that I went and bought a revised standard version of the Bible. Now, I still didn't know exactly what was going on until I came to study under Dr. Morton Smith. And there he was with a big, hardback ASV. American Standard Bible. And I began to learn that there were some peculiar things about the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. For instance, they had used Jewish people to help with the translation of the Old Testament. And so when you read Isaiah chapter 7, 14, where the prophet comes to Ahaz and says, Ask for a sign in heaven. Like, for instance, the way Joshua did to, to cause the sun to stop shining, to stand still. Or down into the depths of the earth. Like, for instance, the way, the way that Jonah was preserved in the belly of the fish for three days. Ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, oh, I, I wouldn't test the Lord. And so the prophet says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. A wonderful, miraculous sign. And the RSV says, behold... A young woman shall conceive and have a son. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that miraculous? That a young woman should conceive and bear a son like a sign as even was when the sun stood still? And so I learned from Morton Smith that you have to be a little discerning as to which version of the Bible that you read. He was a teacher. A very quiet soft-spoken teacher, but he knew where to draw the lines, you know. There's just a very fine line between truth and error, and you have to have someone to teach you where to draw these lines. Now, also, he was a priest in that he interceded for people. I can, when, when we first came to Belhaven, it's now Belhaven University. But back then we called it BU, even though it was Belhaven College. And there were seven of us men who dared to move on to this all 
women's campus. And they put us way back in the farthest corner in the second story of a little apartment. That building, I've gone back to search and see, and it's not there anymore. But there was a, a little two-bedroom apartment with one bath, and they put seven men in there. <laughs> and down in the apartment right below us was Dr. Morton Smith and his wife, Lois. They had just come back from studying at the Free University of Amsterdam, where he was earning his doctor's degree. Well, you know how men on campus are, and, and one Saturday night we were just romping around upstairs and having a good time and having a little theological debate and also doing a little other things, and then there was just a, a little rap on the door, and someone went to the door, and, and here's Morton Smith in his robe, and he says, uh, gentlemen, in this very nice, soft, southern gentleman's voice, gentlemen, it's the Sabbath, and I think you should go to bed. <laughs> Dr. Smith, that, that's exactly what we were doing right now, and that's exactly what we did. Now, I am sure that Morton and Lois Smith were praying for those people up there above <laughs> before he walked up those stairs. And I'm sure he was doing the job of a priest very well because we listened to exactly what he said and I got in my top bunk and he got in his lower bunk and two were sleeping out in the living room and we all got very quiet very quickly. Well, Barnabas was a good man and Morton Smith has been a good man. Secondly, Morton, Morton Smith, first, we have to start with Barnabas. Barnabas was a promoter of others. That takes a lot of grace. You know, one of the worst things to see is how ministers compete with one another. And we all know what that's about. We all like the front row. Ah, but to be a good man, to really excel in the service of Jesus Christ, you have to learn how to evaluate the gifts of others and promote them and be very happy, as the Westminster Larger Catechism says, to promote the well-being and position of others and not just those of yourself. Well, you remember Paul the Apostle had to be lowered in a basket over the wall in Damascus because they were trying to kill him. And when Paul came to Jerusalem, no one wanted to be close to him. They wouldn't have nothing to do with Paul. He was the persecutor. He was the murderer. He had killed many Christians and thrown women into prison because they confessed Christ. And no one would touch him. He was like a leper. And then Barnabas came. And he took Paul by the hand. And he introduced him to the apostles. Barnabas was a good man. He recognized that this man, Paul, 
was called of God to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to all the nations of the world, to be the new covenant Moses. And he took, even though he was no doubt the older person, with greater prestige, and you'll read many times over, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas was the one that was identified as Zeus, as the head of the gods, and Paul was just Mercury, just running along behind Zeus. Barnabas was the prominent one, but Barnabas promoted Paul. Now, shortly after that, the church in Jerusalem heard these strange things that were happening up in Antioch, 300 miles north, that they had started preaching to Greeks. Now, that was just something different. You know, if, if a few Gentiles hear, that's okay, but you don't start preaching and sharing the gospel with the Greeks. But the Greeks were believing and being converted in great numbers. And so they sent Barnabas. Now, I've been in Africa for 20 years, and I have never, ever had one student come and knock on my door. They come to my door regularly, but they always come two by two. And even our Lord Jesus said, go two by two. Barnabas must have been a tremendously trusted person by the apostles, because Barnabas, apparently, because no one else is mentioned, Barnabas alone was sent to find out what was happening up there. And Barnabas walked 300 miles, 300 miles, up to Antioch. And he was amazed at what was happening. And then do you know what he did? Why he said, I'm going to really show them how to teach and develop a good church here. And I'm going to establish some good strong churches here. Hmm. He walked another 200 miles. To find Paul. And he brought Paul back. And then Barnabas and Paul for a full year began to instruct the church. You see, Barnabas was a good man. That's all. He was a good man. He promoted others. Now, there's a fellow here to my right and he gave me all sorts of honors and glory, so I'm going to give him all sorts of honors and glories. What are you, Joey? You're, you're just someone that's promoted by Morton Smith. That's it. Morton Smith's name is not the first name that you see at Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. This is the man. Morton Smith. He has been a good man. He knew what it meant to promote others and not himself. Is there anyone here that has had the grace of God work in their lives in that way? You know, even in the Old Testament it happened that way. You remember when Joab, the general, was about to take over Rabbi Abba of Amman, of the Ammonites, right before the capital city fell to the Israelite army under the control of Joab, he sends a message to David, the king, and he says, David, you've got to come and take this city because if I, as the general, take the city, I will get the glory. 
And you are the king, and you should get the glory. And so David came down, and he took over the siege, and he took the city, and they got a big crown, and they put it on David, and he got all sorts of glory. And Joab, also, even an Old Testament person, was a good man. You know, I, I have heard a similar thing about, you know, the first Presbyterian church in, you know, uh, Columbia, South Carolina, when they were having some lectures about the history of the church and so forth, one person was asked to do it and he said, no, you must do this because you should have the glory at this particular hour. One of the most amazing passages of scripture you'll ever find, at least that I have ever found, is Psalm chapter 18, verse 35. Psalm 18:35. Write it on the back of your heads. David says about God, You stoop down to make me great. Now that is a passage of scripture to think about. David says of God, You stoop down to make me great. That's a sign of a good man. It's a promoter of others. Now thirdly, Barnabas was a discipler. He was a discipler. You remember when they, Barnabas and Saul were committed to, for that first great missionary journey, Barnabas says, I would like to bring John Mark along with us. Now, John Mark was a relative. He was a cousin of Barnabas's. And so this young man, John Mark, Barnabas says, we must take John Mark along with us. So, he takes John Mark on the first journey and they go to Cyprus, which was the home country of Barnabas and he knew the way all the way across that island. It's a beautiful island. It went all the way to the other side. They had wonderful receptions and oppositions as well. And then they cross over the Mediterranean to the coast of Turkey. And there they can see those massive snow-capped Taurus Mountains. And they say, we're not staying here along the coastal area. This, this, is, this is an insulated area. We've got to get up there where all the trade routes are. So we can reach the whole of Asia. And you know what happens. John Mark turns around, gets the next boat home to Mama. He goes back to Jerusalem. I, 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 I've had enough. I'm sorry. So he goes back. Now the time comes for the next missionary trip and Barnabas says, I, I think we should take John Mark along with us. And Paul hits the ceiling. Absolutely not. He's a turncoat. Never. And I can imagine that when Paul the Apostle says absolutely not 
He said it with a little bit of strength. Can't you imagine that? He, he knew how to make his point very well. No. Even to the point that there was a great dispute between Barnabas and Paul. And so you know the results. Instead of one missionary journey or one missionary team, you have two. You have Barnabas going with John Mark back to Cyprus. And you have Paul and Silas taking the land route this time up across Asia and into Europe. But that's not the end of the story. Later on, Paul, the apostle, at the end of his life, is in prison. And he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, the last very words of Paul the Apostle, and he says, Send Mark to me, for he is of great use to me. What happened? What happened? Barnabas was a discipler, and he did not give up on the people that he was discipling. You know, if you read very closely, you will find another very interesting reference to John Mark, and that's in 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 13, where Peter is writing to all the dispersal of the churches, scattered all over, Asia, Bithynia, all around. And he says, My son Mark sends you his greetings. What is this? You mean not only Barnabas, but also Peter? And finally Paul? Recognize the value of this young man? Very likely... The reason that the early church identified Mark as the author of the second gospel is because there are certain little inclinations in the gospel of Mark, if you read closely, that says that could have come only from Peter. So it must have been someone close to Peter that was the author of the gospel of Mark. And that must have been John Mark. Barnabas was a good man. Don't you agree? He was a good man. And if you can just aspire to be a good man, a disciple of others that does not give up with them, then you will have done well. And I have to give my personal testimony for what it's worth. I'm a disciple of Morton Smith. He taught me the Bible in a way that no one else ever has taught me the Bible. He taught me how to teach the Bible. He taught me the value of Volume 4 of Thornwell's theology about government by courts and not by boards. He taught me those things. He taught me missions. 
He was a man who loved missions. And he taught me. And I have to give a testimony. I am a disciple of Morton Smith. Now, fourthly, Barnabas was a churchman, a churchman, a churchman. Barnabas was concerned about doctrine and practice in the church. Some Judaizers came up to Antioch, and they began to teach heresy, heretical doctrine. Doctrine by works. You must be circumcised if you're going to be justified. Barnabas and Paul stood shoulder to shoulder to stand against that heretical doctrine. Barnabas was concerned that the truth be maintained. After the Jerusalem Council reached its decision, Barnabas and Paul were commissioned to go down and represent their perspective on this question. The church and the church council of Jerusalem issued a decree. Barnabas is mentioned before Paul as one of those beloved ones. And he is named by the apostles in the, in the text of that written document that was to be circulated among all the churches because he stood for the truth. Barnabas was a good man. Morton Smith was a churchman. He was a good man. You've heard of the story already of Joey of the starting of Reformed Theological Seminary. It's wonderful to hear some of the stories of, of the early faculty. When, when Morton Smith, because he was a pilot, he, you know, the, the way it started, just a few little other details. Sam Patterson, there was a, an article that came out in the, a magazine called the Presbyterian Observer. And the question on the cover was, do we need an infallible Bible? And there were, articles written by representatives of Union Seminary, Columbia Seminary, Austin Seminary, and Louisville Seminary, the four seminaries of the Southern Presbyterian Church, and every one of them said, we don't need an infallible Bible, nor do we have one. Sam Patterson wrote to each one of those five presidents, or four presidents, and said, is this the position of your seminary? And they all wiffle-waffled a little bit, and, but that was basically the truth. And so he got in his car, and he was the, the president of a little school called French Camp Academy, which was a home for children from broken families that worked on the George Mueller principle. He drove down the Natchez Trace to Jackson, and he went to the office of a lawyer named Canada and got a few other men, about five men around him, and he said, we need a seminary that believes the Bible to be the Word of God, the infallible Word of God. They were only laymen. He didn't get any preachers, just laymen. And they said, well, we don't know anything about starting a seminary. And Sam Patterson said, how big is your God? They said, okay. Each one of us, we will give $1,000 for one year 
and we'll see what happens. And they called on Morton Smith. Now, he was a World War II pilot, so he got in his little plane and he would fly over to Macon, Georgia and talk about Reformed theology and the prospect of a new seminary. And he would fly over to Birmingham, Alabama, and Al Freund tells me one time that, that he was in the plane to go with Morton Smith. And Morton, you know, they have to go through all these checklists to be sure everything is right. And he said Morton would shout each one of these directions so that every single thing was checked exactly right before they took off. And, he, and, Mort, and Al Freund told me one time that he said, but the one thing you don't want is a fire when you're in flight in your airplane. And he says they were flying up and all of a sudden this smoke started coming out of the inside of the, the airplane. I, I guess things worked out okay because it didn't crash. But those were exciting days for people to get a new seminary started. But that was Morton Smith. He was committed to start a seminary that believed the Bible to be the infallible word of God. And I know this is not Reformed Seminary. But look at what God has done. Morton Smith was the first professor of Reformed Theological Seminary. Quiet, good man. As a churchman also, at one point, Morton Smith had to make a decision. He was told by the Board of Reform Seminaries, I understand it, you're going to have to choose. Either you're a professor at Reform Theological Seminary or you're the stated clerk of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America. For Morton Smith, that was no choice. His loyalty to the Church of Jesus Christ was far more than his loyalty to any institution. And so he resigned his office as a teacher at Reform Seminary so he could continue as a clerk of the Presbyterian Church in America because that was his loyalty. His, as far as I know, and Morton can correct me, at least one of his fav favorite hymns, if not the favorite one, is the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And I have many times remember his having leading us to sing that song, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. So he was a priest, a promoter of men, a disciple, a churchman. And finally, close to my heart, you can't let a missionary go without having something to say about missionary work. He was a man with a missionary vision. You know, Barnabas and Saul were the first missionaries commissioned by the Antioch Presbytery. That's what it was, wasn't it? It wasn't a board that sent him. It was Antioch Presbytery that sent Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary work. Barnabas had a great missionary zeal, but he also was important in his zeal to have order as well as 
order. It was the presbytery that sent him. He didn't go out on his own. He was commissioned with hands being laid on him. He was not self-appointed. Later, Barnabas and Paul ordained elders in every church as they did their missionary work. And then when they returned, they gave a full report to the presbytery of Antioch as to exactly what had happened. They wanted accountability and they recognized that the church was the place of their accountability. Now, I have this letter that I asked Joey to get me a copy of if he could. And this says as the heading here, National Presbyterian Church. Does anyone know what that is? National Presbyterian <laughs> Right. This was the original name of the Presbyterian Church in America. And there is a National Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. And when we came out with this name for our denomination, they wrote us a letter that, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a glove with a brick inside. <laughs> you know, we, we, would, we would like to ask you know, that you change your name uh, because there may be confusion. And I don't know, can't remember whether they said anything about lawyers or what, but it, it, it was kind of behind that. But we were gentlemen anyway in the PCA, in the National Presbyterian Church, and we said, of course, we'll be glad to change our name. You're just a little local church, we're a whole denomination, but we will change our name. Maybe you should change your name, but we will change our name, which is what we did. But this is National Presbyterian Church, and up at the top it says, Office of the Stated Clerk, Morton Howison. Smith. And this is the message to all the churches of Jesus Christ throughout the world from the General Assembly of the National Presbyterian Church. And it's a wonderful letter, but I'm going to read just one paragraph, and I'm 99 and 99-100% sure that this is Morton Smith's handwriting here. He is quoting the 1871 declaration to all the churches that was issued when the Presbyterian Church in the United States was first born because they had been told that you must be loyal, more loyal to this denomination and if you're not loyal to this denomination then you shouldn't take the sacraments. Well, the, the Southern Presbyterian brethren felt that, well, maybe we will have to have a higher loyalty and so the 1871 issue was declared to all the churches and this is what it says we declare that the ultimate purpose of the church is to glorify God we believe this includes giving top priority to Christ's great commission we reaffirm the substance of the position taken by the founding fathers of our former church regarding the mission of the church and then the quote we desire distinctly and deliberately to inscribe on our church's banner as she now unfurls it to the world in immediate subservience to the authority of our Lord as head and king of the church, his last command, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We regard this as the great end of our organization, and obedience to it as the indispensable condition of our Lord's promised presence. It is the one great comprehensive objective, a proper conception of whose grandeur and magnitude is the only thing which, under the constraining love of Christ, can ever sufficiently arouse our energies and develop our resources so as to cause us to carry on with that vigor and efficiency which true loyalty to our Lord demands. Those are the agencies necessary to our internal growth and prosperity at home. That's your church. Barnabas was a good man. He had a missionary vision. Martin Smith is, has been, a good man. And he wrote in our church a missionary vision. As the banner is unfurled, this is our calling. This is the only thing that will sustain us. If we ever become so internalized and growing into ourselves, that we forget the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Not just evangelizing, not being finished until we have made disciples of all the nations. Nothing else will sustain the church to make it be what it ought to be to the glory of God and of Jesus Christ. Young men and old men, don't aspire to be a great man. Just be a good man. And along the way, you might become the first professor of a new college that is now going to raise up a new generation of men trained and prepared for the gospel ministry. You might be the first faculty member of a new seminary that will grow and expand to be one of the most influential seminaries in America today, you might become a founding father of an entire denomination that has as its vision reaching the world for Jesus Christ. And then in your latter years, you might even start another seminary named Greenville Presbyterian Seminary by just being a good man. And we've said a little bit about Morton Smith, and maybe it's good he's not here to hear all of this, because a man is tested by his praise. And one day, I personally am confident that he will be very happy to hear his Lord saying, Well done good and faithful servant. You have been a servant over a few things. I will make you Lord over many things.
Well done, good and faithful servant.